to young Timothy. If you remember quite a while back, we were going through 1 Timothy and parts of 2 Timothy and talking about the last days and some of the things that, that Timothy, uh, that Paul was writing to Timothy. And in these letters, there is so much instruction, there is so much caution and warning concerning false teachers and also perilous times in the last, last days. And through First and Second Timothy, there is a dramatic, dramatic challenge for Timothy to, to stay the course, even during such difficult times, uh, to guard that precious deposit that had been committed to, to his trust, to stand firm uh, and to preach. As a matter of fact, that message that Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was writing to, to young Timothy uh, is, is a letter to each and every one of us, uh, but in particular to old and young preachers, that we are to take uh, to heart what God is saying to, to Timothy here. In 1 Timothy, we, we uh, find that Paul charges Timothy to do something that I find very interesting and also very necessary. Uh, and I kind of like the way Paul puts it here. He tells Timothy that uh, Paul's, he, he uh, tells him to avoid vain jangling. Vain jangling. Uh, look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. He tells him to avoid vain jangling. Now, what in the world is vain jangling? Basically, it is fruitless, useless debate and argument. And evidently, there was a lot of that going on during these times, similar to what there are today. But Paul not only tells him in 1 Timothy to avoid vain jangling, just useless, idle debate and argument with, with people who uh, think they know the law, who think they know the Word of God. Uh, later on, and uh, he's going to tell them, matter of fact, go ahead and look at it. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5, he tells them, Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw. Withdraw yourself. So it was so important that, that Paul made sure that Timothy understood, don't get involved in all of this vain jangling and all of this debate, because it's not going to accomplish anything. It's not preach the gospel. Tell them the truth of God's word. And how important it is that, that Timothy understands that. I remember several years ago, uh, used to go to a lot of different Bible conferences. I'd go to uh, different uh, places where different ministers were speaking. And they would do something that literally just disgusted me. They just always angered me. And then they got to wondering, well, why can't we get anybody to preach at our conferences? But they had a, a policy or a thing where after you would preach and, boy, you would teach and you would stand and you would bring God's Word, well, then they would bring a chair and they'd set a chair up here. And they would set that, that preacher down and all these other preachers would go at him. And I thought, vain jangling. 
Why do they do that? What, what is the purpose of that? You know, and they would get to arguing, and they would get to debating, and they would get to criticizing, they would get to critiquing, and it got to the point, guess what I did? I quit going. I quit going. It just was not glorifying to the Lord. And then again, you know, I had some of them say, you know, we just can't find anybody to preach this, this session. And I went, duh. You, no wonder. I, I wouldn't want to go. I wouldn't want to do that. Thankfully, they, they soon quit doing that. But see, when I think of Paul telling Timothy, avoid vain jangling. Just useless, endless, fruitless debate just for the sake of debate. Don't do that. You need to concentrate on what really matters, Timothy. You need to preach what really matters. Don't get into those senseless arguments. Stay committed to the mystery. Stay committed to that which you have been instructed to guard. That precious deposited deposit. That thing that's been entrusted to your, to your account. We find in 1 Timothy a glorious truth. An important truth. A truth that has such implications and that is Paul was the first member of the church the body of Christ that he is the one on the road to Damascus that came to that came to Christ who is the first member of the body of Christ uh, verse 16 of first uh, Timothy 1 uh, says Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which hereafter believe on him to life everlasting tells me that Paul was the first member of the body of Christ and the doctrinal truths that, that just overflow from understanding the word rightly divided and, and what, we, what you need to do with, uh, with that verse. In 1 Timothy, we understood the important role of women. We understood, we understand that, that Eve was deceived, not Adam, but Eve was deceived. And all the implications from, from that truth that there in the garden, Satan deceived Eve, but he didn't deceive Adam. Adam willfully rebelled against God. He willfully disobeyed God. It's through 1 Timothy that we understand the qualification of elders and deacons and how important their role in the church is. It's from 1 Timothy that we understand that it's God's will that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And if it's God's will that all men be saved, I believe it's God's will that all men share the gospel with those all men that God wants to be saved. Such dramatic truths. It's through 1 Timothy that that Paul talks to him about what's coming. You know, Timothy, be, be aware. There are going to be seducing spirits. There's going to be doctrines of devils in the last days. There's going to be in the last days a falling away. Now, I personally believe Paul and, 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 and Timothy and all these guys, they believed they were in the last days at that time. Matter of fact, there's ample proof, and I'm going to show you here in a little bit, that Paul believed that, that they, at first he was going to be alive when Christ came and, and caught the church up to meet him in the, in the air. Uh, for sure, Timothy was going to be alive. I think they thought that the, the coming of Christ was imminent. It was going to happen at any second, even back then. Well, it didn't, but that doesn't mean it's not. And if they thought it was close then, Christ coming, how much closer are we right now? 
how much closer are we right now to the return of the Lord? But Paul is telling Timothy, in the last days, there's going to be seducing spirits. There's going to be doctrines of devils. There's going to be this falling away that's going to take place. It's from 1 Timothy that we learn that the love of money is the root of all evil. I want to tell you something. If there is a verse in the Scripture that is misquoted more than any other, guess which verse it is? It's this verse. It's not, money is not the root of all evil. What is the root of all evil? The love of money is the root of all evil. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. Starting with verse 6. But godliness and contentment is great gain. Verse 7. Boy, what a truth this is. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, I've known some rich guys that have such a sweet spirit, who love God, who share those blessings that God has bestowed upon them, and I, I applaud them for their ministry and, and how they are stewards of God's God's money, what God has blessed them with. But often is not what happens. Exactly what that scripture just said. There's destruction. They're, they, they're foolish. There's hurtful lust. See, money can just corrupt and, and destroy. It is for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Paul's talking about believers here. He's talking about believers that allowed money to get into their way, get, get in their way. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness, and fight the good fight of faith. Boy, what an instruction that Paul is saying to Timothy that every one of us need to adhere to. We need to read this. We need to understand that this is being written to us. If you're a man of God, if you're a woman of God, you need to flee these things that Paul was just talking about. And you need to follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, and fight the good fight. Folks, I'm telling you, this is the time for us to be fighting the good fight. Amen? This is the time when we stand for the truth of God's Word without flinching, without backing down, and for doing exactly what the apostles did when they came to them and told them to shut up, quit preaching, and what did they say? We ought to obey God rather than man. And folks, that's going to be our stand here. We are fighting the good fight, the good fight of faith. We, this is the time that God's called us to take a stand, to stand for His Word, to stand for the truth of His Word. And just as Paul told Timothy to fight the good fight of faith, he wants us to do the same thing. 
and to lay hold or claim on eternal life. I want to tell you something. One of the victories that we can have as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is that is to understand that we've been bought with a price, that we don't belong to ourselves, that we belong to God, and what He has prepared based on His Word, He is a God who cannot lie, and that is eternal life is ours. That's what God promises. And you know what His Word tells us to do? We lay claim to that. I don't care what the devil tells you. I don't care what the world tells you. I don't even care what that voice inside you tries to tell you uh, sometimes and causes doubts and fears and uncertainty. What God's Word says for you to do is you understand that you've done exactly what God has told you you needed to do to be saved. In order for you to be, sa- to be saved, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe that He went to Calvary's cross, that He shed His precious blood for you, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, that He did that for you. By faith, you believe that, and God does His work in your life. And when you believe those things, you lay claim to eternal life. You have been sealed into the day of redemption. There's absolutely nothing that you can do to cause you to lose that eternal security that you have in Christ. What the church needs to do is to be mindful that we need to be laying hold of eternal life. Claim it. It's mine. It's ours. I'm not, I'm not going. This, this body might die. This body might kill over. Matter of fact, it's getting more and more difficult to go up and down those stairs. But that's just old age. And a whole bunch of you are shaking your head, heads, yes. But I'm going to live forever. I'm going to live forever. Not because I deserve it, not because I've worked for it, but because God has promised, and I lay claim to that. When I get to heaven, not if I get to heaven, but when I get to heaven, the only reason that I am able to enter is because of what Christ Jesus has done on my behalf. There, are, there will be no balances. There will be, oh, let's see if, if old Ricky, let's see if your good outweighs your bad. There's, there will be none of that. There will be none of that. As I enter heaven, it is going to be with praise to God and the finished work of Christ Jesus on Calvary's cross. Because that, has, that is what has bought my pardon. That is what has cleansed me from all unrighteousness is who I am in Christ. So lay hold of eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. And I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickens all things and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's one of those verses that Paul is telling Timothy. Hey, you do these things until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think Paul expected Timothy and him too to, to be alive when Christ came for the church. I think he pretty much told Titus the same thing. Look at Titus chapter, chapter 2. Verse 13. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope 
and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Um, Titus, look for that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope. What is the blessed hope? That's the rapture. That's the coming of Christ for the church, the body of Christ. He was encouraging Timothy, even back then, to live expecting Christ to return for the church and catch, him, catch us up to meet him in the air. We need to be living like that also. Amen? Laying claim to that eternal life that we have in Christ. Fighting the good fight. Paul writes all this from Macedonia in about 63 A.D. This is his first letter to Timothy. He's just been released from a Roman prison. Remember in, in Acts we have him, he goes to Rome, uh, he has to face, uh, uh, he's been charged and, and he appeals to Caesar, so he goes to, to Rome. Well, he's released from prison there. And when he's released to, from prison, uh, tradition has him, and, and we know from Romans 16, he really wanted to go to uh, a Romans 12, he really wanted to go to Spain. That's where he, he wanted to go uh, also. So perhaps he went to Spain. What we do know, he's released from prison. He writes this letter of encouragement and warning and instruction to, to Timothy. He tells Peter to labor for, I mean, he tells Timothy to labor for the Lord, to serve the Lord, expect Christ's return. But then something happens. He's released from prison, 63 A.D. Something happens in 64 A.D. Something that changes the whole face of the world. Rome burns. Burns to the ground. And who does it? Nero. This guy was as, he was a mad as a hatter. Nero was crazy. He was a politician that was a lunatic. He was a politician that just couldn't even probably put two sentences together. He, he, this Nero had no idea what he was doing there in the He had no idea what he was doing. And actually, Nero is the one who set Rome ablaze. But who did he blame? The Christians. That is what intensified the persecution. That's what intensified them being thrown to the lions. That's what uh, being, being crucified, being used as human lantern, lanterns in Nero's gardens, being flayed alive. All the tremendous persecution that started was because Nero blamed Christians. That's why they, they were ordered to leave uh, Rome. Well, in 66 A.D., Paul comes back from wherever he is, and more than likely in Troas is where he's arrested. 
And this time, the imprisonment is much harsher, much more cruel, and he's never released. And it's in that scenario, in that setting, that he writes another letter to Timothy. And what's interesting about this letter is the theme is pretty much the same. Maybe a little more desperation. But as far as Timothy, guard that precious deposit. As a matter of fact, look at some of these verses. Look at 1 Timothy. I mean, sorry, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And knowing the persecution that's going on, knowing how difficult life is, Paul writes to Timothy in verse 7 of chapter 1, For God has not given us the spirit of fear. Because there was a lot to be afraid of. There was a lot to be concerned about during that time. But God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of, of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Paul was saying, Timothy, you, you, you may also suffer persecution for your stand, for your witness. But that's okay. Because God is faithful. God will bless you for that. But Timothy, God's not given us the spirit of fear. And God's word to you this morning is God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And folks, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to be actively employing that sound mind and that love as we stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. Frightening times. Right, and he's, he, keep in mind, he's writing this from a prison cell. For the Lord has not given us the spirit of fear. As the chains clanked. As, as he heard the groans, had to, of other prisoners. And the persecution that was going on. For God's not given us the spirit of fear. Yeah, the days are dark. The days are difficult. The persecution is real. But God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Timothy, you're expected to exercise all of those truths. Matter of fact, that, you, you want to know how bad it is? I think that's one of the reasons that Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1 talks about in verse 15, you know that all they which be in Asia be turned away from me. Why were they avoiding Paul? Because it was dangerous. His message, the truths that he was proclaiming, marked him. And so many people who had been following, he talks about Demas. And one place in Colossians, he was talking about how Demas is there and he's ministering. But when he writes 2 Timothy, Demas has forsaken him, having loved this world more than he loved God. Oh, 
What? Yeah, and Demas was a believer. Demas is going to be in heaven. Demas is, but you don't want your name in the scriptures as one who forsook God, who quit, pre, who who loved this present world and hightailed it. When the going got rough, he just got going. He left. All those of Asia have turned away from me. It kind of gives you an idea of just how dangerous it was then. It was just too dangerous. So once again, Paul writes this letter. The theme is pretty much the same as it was. Stand strong, Timothy. Study. Prepare. The perilous times. So many truths that we get from this letter that we need to apply to our daily lives. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Is that not a message that we can embrace today? Boy, it is. And the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Man, these Pauline truths, these truths that they understood, this, this mystery, this special revelation that Paul received from the Lord Jesus Christ Himself is something that Timothy was told, you guard it, you protect it, you stand strong, and you teach it to other men who's going, who will be able to teach other men who will be able to teach other men these truths. And you know what is at the heart of that truth? Jesus saves that Jesus can change your life, He can make you a new creation, that you do not have to be separated from God, you don't have to be an enemy with God. The message, isn't that amazing? The message, think about this. The message that God gives us to share with a lost world, with a crippled and dying world, is a message that says, the Creator the one who's capable of loving you more than you've ever been loved before. You reject. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? The, 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 the greatest message, the greatest news that's ever been voiced, ever been echoed, is He is not here, He is risen. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Yet the world says, don't preach that, don't teach that, don't share that. Verse 3 of 2 Timothy 3 says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And I hope and pray that each and every one of you feel like a soldier of Jesus Christ. That you consider yourself a soldier of Jesus Christ. It's imperative that you do, folks. Don't love this present world. Don't embrace this world and what the world offers. It's time to get serious about who we are in Christ and what God has called us to do. These are dangerous, difficult, and they could be fearful times were it not for the fact that God's not given us the spirit of fear. Matter of fact, He's called us this very moment to stand firm. It's from 2 Timothy chapter 2 that we find out how we're to approach the Scriptures as we rightly divide the word of truth. Verse 15 of 2 Timothy 2. I have such golden nuggets, precious truths. 
Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. One of the last things that Paul had to tell Timothy, he, it was imperative that he tell Timothy that the Holy Spirit moved on his heart to tell Timothy is if you want to understand the word, if you want to be able to understand what it is that the word is teaching, if you want to be able to stand, understand which gospel we're to proclaim today, you've got to rightly divide the word can't tell you how absolutely imperative that truth is. Rightly dividing the word of truth, slicing it with precision, understanding that what is different about Paul's message and what he is proclaiming. So we are to stand firm. We are to study God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, he tells us, he tells us that perilous times are going to come. In the last days, this know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. And it lists all the things that are going to take place. And I, I encourage you to read all that. And you're going to go, well, that's happening today. Ooh, hmm, that's today. Ooh, that's today. And you're going to get through the entire list and you're going to go, we're living in the last days. Maybe I ought to get serious about my relationship with God. Because it may not be much longer. And you're going to be face to face. And the question is this morning, as you stand face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ, thinking now, are you going to go I'm not going to have any regrets. Why, I'm going to stand face to face and I'm going to go, God, did you see all the things that I did while I was on earth? Or are you going to say, Lord, where's my mansion? It's, it's got to be on Main Street. Or are you going to be realizing it's only by God's grace that you're even there? We faithfully serve Him. Yeah, we're in the last days. And, and, and look at 2 Timothy 3.9. I've told you before that I've quit watching the news, right? And that has just been so healthy. That's, that, is more, that is better for me than the vitamins that faith take, makes me take every morning. I just quit watching the news. And if people come up and start talking to me about the news, I just go, na 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 na. I I just I I'm more interested in the good news. But just in case you're wondering, verse nine of Second Timothy chapter three. But all these people that it's talking about in the last days and all this is gonna happen and, and how foolish these people are. If you think that people are going to get away with their riotous living and the way they're conducting their lives and all of the stuff that's going on today, look at verse 9. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. There's a payday someday. Oh, Robert G. Lee used to preach a sermon called Payday Someday. And it was powerful. 
Folks, I'm here to tell you, there is a payday someday. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. None of us, none of us are going to be able to avoid that. There is a payday someday. Chapter 4, verse 1. And this is actually what, what, what I was wanting to preach on this morning. But I couldn't really get into this without covering that part and bringing us back up to date. Here's what God's Word tells us to do, church. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge thee. Put your name there. I put my name there. I take this personally. We all need to take it personally. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. See, God the Father has given all judgment over to the Son, according to John 5.22. So when you stand before Christ, you're standing before your judge. But aren't you glad this morning that you belong to Him? That you've been bought with a price. That your sin, your sin is forgiven. But he shall judge the living and the dead. Verse 2. Preach the word. The word preach there literally is herald. And it, it's more than just telling people. It is to herald. It is to make known. It is to broadcast. Here's what Paul was telling to Timothy right before he's executed. Not exactly sure how much longer he's going to live, but boy, you, if, if somebody is basically in their final hours or days or even weeks, you can be pretty sure that what they're writing has the Holy Spirit inspires him to, to write these things. Preach the Word. Be instant in season and out of season. In other words, be alert all the time. Be ready to defend the faith. Be ready to share the gospel of Jesus Christ at all times. In season and out of season. You know, and I read that, and I don't know why, but when I read this, I think of pumpkins. There's only a certain time of year that you can get a pumpkin. Now, I love pumpkin milkshakes. I love pumpkin pie. I, I love... Uh, we, we've, we've hit every donut shop between here and, and Herman looking for pumpkin muffins for Faye. And, and we just haven't been able to find them. Everybody keeps saying, well, they'll be here in October. Well, it's October. Where are they? <laughs> you can only get pumpkins at a special time of the year, well, I can buy it in a can, but that's not the same thing. But maybe that's what they used to cook. I don't know. But pumpkins are seasonal. I don't want to be a pumpkin Christian. 
I don't want to be somebody that's only good for a certain season. That's what God's Word is telling us. Christian, you are to be alert. You are to be working in season, out of season. There is no season for you. Your relationship with Christ is an every day, every minute, every hour relationship. He be- you belong to Him. Preach the Word. Be instant or be alert. In season, out of season, don't be a pumpkin. It doesn't say that. But that's what I see when I read it. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Reprove. If somebody's sinning, if somebody is disobeying God's Word, and you tell them that they are disobeying God's Word, do you know what is said a lot of times? How dare you judge me? You can't judge me. Well, and, and I don't. But boy, God's Word can. Just the very fact that God's Word tells us to reprove indicates judgment. Judgment. You're not condemning. I, I can't condemn anybody. That's only God can condemn. But God's Word tells us that we are to reprove. And did you see that next word? Rebuke. <laughs> Rebuke literally means to bring to conviction. Share, them, share with them what God's Word says about their wrongdoing. Well, you can't judge me. Judge not. That, that scripture is probably the most quoted scripture. Judge not. Then sometimes they'll even throw in the other part, lest thou be judged. See, and they forget to talk about the part that says, because with the, on the grounds that you judge, you judge them, you're going to be judged. And you know what? As long as you're standing on the word of God, that's okay. That's okay. Reprove? Christian, that's, that's what God's Word tells us we're to do. To reprove, rebuke, exhort, and instruct. See, not only are you to tell somebody, hey, God's Word says you're not supposed to do that. Here's what God's Word says you're supposed to do. And it's not just a one way, just I'm going to tell you what not to do. God's Word's pretty clear. We're also to tell them what they are to do. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering, means with all patience. You know what that that tells us that we're supposed to exhort, reprove, rebuke in love. Being patient. Not being angry, not being hostile. Not being condemning, but being truthful. Being truthful. With all long-suffering and doctrine. 
For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. We are there today, folks. Oh, my. I saw a thing on Facebook. That's where I get my news, so you know it's all true. A, a, a thing on Facebook that had a picture of two churches, and it showed one church just packed, packed out. It was huge. And the preacher is pretty much preaching fluff and what the people want to hear. And that's what it said on there. It said, uh, when you preach what the people want to hear, the place was packed. But when you preach the truth, when you preach God's word, it, it wasn't, very, wasn't very many people. And you know what? That's true. Especially today. People want to be entertained. They want to be pumped up. They, they, they want to have feel good, embrace me, comfy me type sermons. And what the world needs today is not that. It needs God's Word. God's Word's comforting. God's Word's loving. God's Word is embracing as we embrace the truth. But there's a difference in that and not enduring sound doctrine. But they go and listen to teachers that scratch their ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Oh, may we take to heart what Paul says to Timothy. Verse 6, we're almost done. And I can just imagine Paul in that jail cell. For I'm now ready to be offered. And the, and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. But it doesn't end there. It's not a period. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. And I pray this morning that you love the appearing of Christ. We, we were back here praying. And as we were finished praying before we came out here, Jill and Pat were both mumbling about, Lord, come quickly. I don't know if it's because they didn't want to play the organ and the piano. I'm not sure. I don't think that's what it is. I think it just had to do as we were praying for, for all that's going on. Both Jill and Pat talked about, Lord, we're ready for you to come and get us. Lord, take us out of here. See, those who love God, those who understand that eternal life is theirs, 
They love his appearing. And he's coming. Are you ready? Verse 18, 2 Timothy. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know what God's word tells us? Positionally, this very moment, those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're already seated in the heavenlies in Him. Our position is in Christ. We're already there. That's the way God sees us. The way we, our position is seated in Christ in the heavenlies this very moment. That's where our citizenship is. It's not here. Thank goodness. We're seated in the heavenlies. So with that in mind, I read that again. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work. Yet my body may suffer. There may be pain. There may be struggling. There may be difficulty. There may be persecutions. But the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto His heavenly kingdom. God's plan and purpose, Christian, is to exalt you in the heavenly places. Not because you've earned it. Not because you deserve it. But because He loves you so much. And because you are in Christ. And that's what God the Father has plans for. The Lord Jesus Christ. And you're in Him. What a position. Eternally secure in Him. Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank You for these instructions. We thank You for these challenges. We thank You for these words that were addressed to this young preacher. May each and every one of us take them to heart. Father, understand that this serving God is a serious matter. That living for the Lord Jesus and witnessing and being an example of your faithfulness and of your love and grace, we are to take it seriously. Father, may there not be a single person here in this building to this morning that does not know you as Savior. I pray that every person here realizes that you died for them. And by faith, they have trusted Christ. But Father, if there be someone here that has never done that, may this very moment, may the Holy Spirit just convict them of their overwhelming need of settling that all-important issue, heaven or hell. And Father, by trusting Christ, heaven, eternal life, they can lay claim to that, they can lay hold to that. Father, they can continue rejecting you and living their own life and just thinking it's what we teach and preach is silly.
And one day, they'll hear those awful words, depart from me, for I never knew you. Oh, Father, I pray that there's not a single person here that will ever hear those words. But Father, this very moment, I'm thankful that the offer, the invitation can be extended. And even if up until this very moment, by faith, they've never accepted Christ, this is the second that they become that new creation by believing what your word says and believing that Christ died for them. By believing the gospel. And fathers, these days get more and more difficult. Father, may we be more and more faithful to stand for your truth. Firmly planted on your word. And we pray these things in the precious, precious name of Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Amen.